Welcome to Islam for Christians. This is episode 119, Islamic History, the year 625, the Battle of Uhud, part one. Who is the winner? Who won the war? That's the fundamental answer that people usually want when discussing a conflict from the past. Unfortunately, it's seldom as simple as most want it to be. Who won the Korean War, for example? That depends on perspective. The Americans and the United Nations could claim a victory. After all, they pushed the North Koreans out of the South and back to the original line. It was a successful defense. And the Chinese could claim victory too. MacArthur never made it up to the Chinese border, and the Chinese army was mostly responsible for that. And then you have the North Koreans, which, let's be real, means the Kim family. They could claim a victory as well. They were intact and in charge. Then again, they were the only faction who didn't meet their original objective to unite the peninsula. And that's going to be an important theme when we talk about the aftermath of the Battle of Uhud. Who won, and what was their original objective? So, when picking winners and losers in a battle or a war or anything like that, the opening objective matters as much as the final result. Now, much later historians could add yet another factor, how it played out in the course of history. But in the immediate, what matters is whether your objectives were met. That's how you assess winners and losers in the moment, you know, not 2,000 years down the road. And this is particularly true when you're talking about just a battle rather than an entire war. And this is very very important to keep in mind when talking about the Battle of Uhud, because as you'll see eventually, there will be so much debate about who won this battle and who lost the battle, and there will be significant theological implications for the Muslims in that very question. But for us, before we can judge what happened in the end, we have to always remember why this battle was fought in the first place. That is, if you care who won or lost. Um, and again, as you'll see, the Muslims certainly cared about this. And I'm guessing you do. Most people do. That's part of what makes history fun. So when we talk about this battle, and who did what and why, just keep in mind the objectives. First of all, there are the Meccan objectives. Well, there's one, really. It's to destroy Muhammad and Islam as a force on the peninsula. In Mecca, destroying Muhammad, that was the public stance. That's what was being said in the street. There were secondary objectives they would take if they could take them, like securing passage for their caravans or just showing that, hey, you can't attack Mecca without incurring some kind of devastating response, and also um, weakening the Muslims in the eyes of potential allies in the area. 
would be a nice bonus if the Meccans could get that. But the objective at the outset was total victory over Muhammad. And on the Muslim side, this would be very, very different than Badr. This was now an existential fight. You could argue whether they brought it on themselves, but regardless of how it started, a foreign army was coming to destroy their home. So the Muslim main objective was quite simple. Fight off any attack and either destroy the Meccan army or force it to flee. And I'm not sure there was really a backup plan here. They had to do this or die. I've never seen anything suggesting Muhammad had some kind of contingency plan, somewhere to go if Medina was overrun. And he might have. uh, There's just no evidence of it. Now, he did. He and the Muslims actually had a pretty good reason to be confident from a military perspective. Because remember, the Meccans were only attacking because Muhammad was an effective force in the north. So, to recap the original objectives here, the Meccans were going for the jugular, and the Muslims, for now, simply wanted to keep their place in Medina. And remember this at the end, because the answer of who wins this battle will not be cut and dry in either Mecca or Medina. So, on to Uhud, the Battle of Uhud. Just uh, so you know, Uhud is a mountain. That's uh, what gives the battle its name. And you'll see this later. Now, it was the Muslim success in raiding caravans that made this battle happen maybe a little sooner than it otherwise would have. So, the Meccans were planning and raising an army and recovering from the humiliation at Badr. And within a year, this is this is fast by ancient times, they were ready, or at least as ready as they needed to be, given the urgency of the situation. So about a year after Badr, Muhammad receives a letter that tells him 3,000 men were leaving Mecca and about to march on Medina. And that letter, even when delivered by a skilled courier on a horse, it took three days just to get to Medina. So, in all likelihood, almost surely, this army was marching toward Medina even as Muhammad read the letter. And this wasn't just some rabble. This was a formidable contingent, according to his scouts. There were 3,000 men coming, 700 of which had armor, and they had 200 horses and apparently thousands of camels. Now, these camels were for supply and also to carry the many women who would be accompanying the fighting men to the front. Abu Sufyan was in charge, and he brought two wives, including Hind, who had basically put a bounty on Hamza. I think I may have gone over that a little bit. She had trained an Abyssinian slave, uh, an expert javelin thrower, to perform what they hoped would be basically a battlefield assassination. So the Meccans are coming, the Quraysh are coming, Abu Sufyan is coming. What is the Muslim plan? The first things first, they want to get everything valuable into the city proper, into a defendable place. Get everything from the outlying areas, people, 
livestock, anything valuable that you can carry. And as much as you can, get it into a central defensible location. And then figure out how you're going to fight. Now, the Medinans knew this moment would be coming, but for some reason, it seems they waited until this moment to actually have a war council and talk about what to do. It might just be the way the story is told in the histories, but I do find it amazing that, if true, you know, they only now were talking about how best to defend the city. So there's this meeting, and Muhammad is getting counsel about military strategy. So before I go over the two plans that were offered, let me kind of summarize the situation for you. So for fun, you can put on your general hat and think, what would you do? From the Medinan perspective, you know, let's say you're Muhammad, what would you do? The Meccans were approaching Medina, and Medina has a unique terrain. Think of it like a horseshoe, 10 miles by 10 miles, surrounded by mountains everywhere except to the north, which is the opening of the horseshoe. This would be the likely place of any open battlefield style battle, should this end up like Badr. The problem was the Mecca advantage here, which was very clear. Mecca had 3,000 men. And not just that, this wasn't like 3,000 roughly quickly assembled men like at Badr. This was 3,000 prepared men, 700 of whom had armor, that's way more than Badr, and 200 cavalry horses. That's really important. Now against this, 3,000 men, 700 with armor, 200 cavalry. Against that, the Muslims had about 1,000 troops. And for now, maybe a hundred of them had armor. And they had no horses. So the Muslims were outnumbered three to one in soldiers, seven to one in armor, and infinitely overmatched in cavalry. So if you're a general, what do you do with that? If you meet them in an open field, this is from the Muslim perspective, if you meet the Meccans in an open field, you're in very big trouble, regardless of the circumstances. Because if things get close, they can beat up your lightly armored men with their heavy armor. But if it's a bit more spread out, you are going to find yourself surrounded by cavalry and superior forces. So a number of officials, including the head of the Khazraj tribe, Abdullah ibn Ubay, proposed drawing the Meccans into the city. And remember that name, Abdullah ibn Ubay, and the fact that he wanted to stay in Medina to fight. This was plan number one that was offered. Draw the Meccans into the city. Force them to fight it out house to house, among towers and obstacles and other things which would blunt the size advantage of the Meccan army. The Muslim individual soldier and I think even the Meccans would have admitted this, an individual Muslim soldier was, on the whole, superior to the average Meccan soldier. So, and you see this strategy in many sports today, if you have a superior 
superiority and having superior individual personnel, let's say. Your players are better than their players. You want to create as many one-on-one matchups as possible to exploit that advantage. And the stay in Medina plan would do that. And even if somehow it turned into a drawn-out siege, you know, long siege, that would still be to the Muslims' advantage because they had noticed or their scouts had noticed the Meccans did not bring any siege equipment to scale buildings and towers and all that. And there were no extended supply lines, apparently, meaning their stay was always going to be limited. This was a very good plan, but there was one major drawback here, and that would be all the crops that were planted outside the center of the city. This was apparently quite a lot. All of these crops would be either eaten by the Meccan animals and soldiers, or it might be destroyed, just set on fire. So they were thinking, can we really stay in the city and let them completely obliterate all the city's crops? Food isn't exactly abundant in this period in Medinan history. Could they afford to lose all of that? So then we have option two. Ride out and meet them. Okay, actually, it's really walk out and meet them. They had no cavalry. This option, when you first hear it, it seems almost suicidal. And its main proponents were the young and the fervent and, you know, those who had seen the miracle of Badr. They were confident, you know, so they think, why not? Let's do it. We did it before. We can do it again. But even these headstrong folks knew a good spot would be neat, would have to be chosen here. You you can't just ride out there willy-nilly and expect anything good to happen. This would have to be like Bodder. You need to be in the perfect place. Now, the pros of this plan, there would be basically two advantages. First of all, you save the crops. And second of all, it's probably good for morale to believe that you actually can win a battle like this. But the drawbacks were significant. There were many of them. How do you beat superior forces and cavalry in an open field? That seems insane. That's a recipe for getting surrounded. And that also means if you lost, it wouldn't just be a rout. It would be a total loss because you would be surrounded. This would be like a German 6th Army at Stalingrad type of loss. Everyone would be dead. Islam would be over and the Meccans could take whatever they want from the city. But still, Muhammad chose option two. He had originally favored the stay in Medina strategy, but at the council, as it played out, option number two quickly became the majority opinion. And so it was decided they would go out and meet them in a proper battle. Now, Abdullah ibn Ubay of the Khazraj, remember from just a few minutes ago, 
This was the guy who wanted to stay in Medina and fight in the city proper. He was unhappy with this, but he marched 300 of his men out with Muhammad nonetheless. However, depending on who you believe, Ibn Ubay either deserted with his men and went back to Medina, or Muhammad ordered him and his 300 men back to Medina. Personally, I favor the idea that Muhammad sent them back, because Ibn Ubay would live another six years after that. He wasn't killed for desertion, so my best guess is this was Muhammad's order, or some kind of agreement between the two. Uh, Maybe the Khazraj felt it was nobler to be in the city just in case. I should also note that technically, Ibn Ubay was a Muslim, but no one was ever going to accuse him of of being a, a true believer. Hypocrite would be the term Muslims would use. So it's unlikely he had the fervor of the other Muslims, and that was probably reflected in his army, which honestly, was probably much more loyal to their homes in Medina than to Muhammad and his god and his crusade against the Meccans. And it's possible Muhammad thought these 300 were more of a liability than an asset. This is hinted at later in Surah 3, verses 166 to 167, suggesting that the reason God allowed the battle to play out the way it did you know, I won't spoil the ending here yet. It was basically to expose the hypocrites. So whether they left voluntarily or they left with Muhammad's uh, permission or were simply predestined by God to do it, they left. And Muhammad clearly let them leave. And he saw them leave and he knew they left. This loss was no small thing. This was almost a third of his army, which wasn't that big to begin with. So with those Khazraj men gone, Muhammad was down to 700 men against 3,000. 3,000 with better armor and 200 horses. But they would go out and meet the enemy nonetheless. On paper, this seems reckless and stupid. But as the cliche goes, Battles are not fought on paper, they are fought by men, and there are always ways to make a smaller army stand against a larger one. The Meccans, the Quraysh, Abu Sufyan's force, whatever you want to call them, after a 12-day march to get there, they eventually made camp on an open plain to the northwest of the city. Now remember, the north, that's where the opening to Medina was. It was to the north of the horseshoe. Theoretically, this force could have tried to go over the mountains, but given their situation, that would have been pretty dumb. This isn't a disorganized horde conducting a raid. You're just pouring over the hills would have played to the current Muslim strengths. Not to mention, I'm not sure the horses and camels would have made it over anyway. So the Meccans took their forces near the opening of the horseshoe and made camp to the northwest of the city. And in a terrific spot, they had plenty of water and they were on an open plain, which would have made an attack on that position in this situation almost suicidal. They could stay there for a while and decide their next move, 
But just like with Badr, in the end, it would be the Muslims who would choose the battle site. And once again, they chose it very well. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Insha'Allah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.